Transcribe Podcast episode 145, Beyond the Surface, with Erin Dollar of Cotton and Flax. Do you want to grow a thriving, profitable handmade business? My name's Jess Van Den, and I'm here to help you do just that. I took my own handmade business full-time in 2010, and since 2013, I've helped thousands of makers, just like you, create and grow successful handmade businesses. So, are you ready to thrive? Let's get learning. Hey Thrivers, welcome to another episode of the Create and Thrive podcast. I have an interview for you today with the lovely Erin Dollar. Erin is a textile and surface pattern designer who specializes in minimalist designs with an eco-friendly focus. She creates boldly patterned decor for her business Cotton and Flax, which she founded in 2012, and she's been doing a brilliant job ever since. If you enjoyed this episode, I have good news for you especially if you're already a member of the thriver circle erin is going to be coming and joining us for a live text chat in the thriver circle next tuesday at 10 a.m brisbane time if you're in the u.s and canada that's monday night your time so just uh, do a quick conversion of the time zone to work out exactly what it is in your time so if you're a member of the thriver circle just look in the events tab and you can rsvp right now for that live chat with erin If you're not a member, you can join anytime over on thrivercircle.com and join us for that chat next Tuesday, 10 a.m. Brisbane time. So I've got a great interview with her today for you. But before we dive into that, I just want to ask you a big favor. If you've ever found the podcast helpful, inspiring, informative, if it's made a positive impact on your own business journey it would mean the world to me if you could take a few moments and leave a review especially if you're listening on apple podcasts because apple podcasts is still the industry standard for podcasts and it's where a lot of people go to find new podcasts and it's also where people go to find out whether a show is something they want to listen to so by leaving a review you'll help the podcast find more people who it can help and you'll encourage them hopefully to also give it a chance so if i could ask you for anything it would be to spend just a few minutes leave a rating and a review on apple podcasts and if you don't listen on apple Podcasts, the next best thing is to come on over to the create and thrive facebook page and leave a review and rating there it would mean so much to me thank you so much in advance to every single person who has left a review over the last few years and everybody who is willing to Uh, take a few moments to do so it makes a huge difference all right so let's dive in to this episode with erin dollar hi erin welcome to the show hi thank you so much for having me thank you for coming on and being being willing to share about your business i love talking to successful makers everybody has their own story but it's really great to kind of pull out those threads of things that tie everybody together so you have a background in fine arts and printmaking. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, printmaking is really my passion and what kind of led me to cotton and flax. Uh, before I founded my business, which is kind of focused on home decor products, I was working as a fine artist living in Portland, Oregon, and just sort of working out of this really grungy printmaking studio. <laughs> it was a co-op. There were you know, 20 other printmakers crammed into this little space behind a pizza place, just sort of 
Oh my gosh, it was the most underground <laughs> working situation I've ever had before. <laughs> you know, one of those things where we were sort of operating as a gallery, but it also wasn't super clear on whether or not it was like fit for people to actually be in. It was like maybe half, you know, under construction <laughs> or like half sort of storage space. And yeah, it was, it was really kind of um, the early days in my, my career as a, as a creative person. I was fresh out of college where I had studied printmaking and it was, you know, partially timing too. It was 2008. So it was the beginning of the downturn oh, yeah. um, in the economy here in the United States. And um, I was just in this very strange spot where I had, <laughs> you know, a lot of student debt. I was trying yes. to figure out what I kind of wanted to do for a career. And at the same time, I was sort of still, you know, kind of high on this creative energy that I had, you know, spent all this time in the studio as a as a college student and coming into my own as a, you know, adult, a working person out of college and being around all these creative people and you know, it was really a fruitful time for me in terms of making my fine artworks. But what started to happen was I, I was having trouble kind of finding full-time work. Portland is an incredible creative community and um, a wonderful place to live. But one of the things that people out there have always struggled with is finding enough creative jobs for mm. people to pay the bills. I think yeah. I knew pretty much everyone who I knew who was a creative was sort of patching together an income. You know, some of us were working part-time jobs in cafes, or maybe we were doing, um, you know, some sort of teaching on the side. Mm -hmm. But um, I was sort of feeling this frustration of, oh, you know, I'm, I don't really want to be working all these different part-time jobs that are kind of pulling energy mm. from my creative practice. So what if I started to experiment with maybe putting some of my designs on more useful everyday objects and selling those things? I was already... Um, selling my fine artworks, my prints on paper, um, I would take them to craft fairs or I would sell them out of the gallery in this little <laughs> studio space that we had. Um, and I would kind of work with galleries um, in Portland to sell my work as well. So I kind of had this concept, of, oh, you know, I can make, you know, a little bit of a side hustle almost with selling my mm -hmm. artworks. But what if I, you know, experimented and made more products and, you know, maybe tried to um, bring those around. And so, I, I started bringing these printed uh, textiles. I did pillows and tea towels to start and started kind of displaying them alongside my fine art prints and my framed artwork that I was showing at craft fairs. And people loved them. It was mm. so exciting. I got so much great feedback. And, um, you know, this was back kind of in the early days of Etsy and Renegade Craft Fair and all of these sort of indie um, craft biz businesses sort of popping up. And I just thought, I could I can make a go of this. Let's yes. you know, let's see where this leads. <laughs> and um, you know, I don't know necessarily now, you know, kind of looking back if I always really had that entrepreneurial spirit or mm. if it was sort of a product of the economic downturn and not having as many options maybe as I would have had if, you know, say if I graduated from college now. Yeah. Um, it was sort of like this great little kismet of like timing and, you know, where I was in my career and yeah, all these different things that sort of led me to to founding my company. And, you know, once I once I saw these textile pieces doing well, I thought, I kind of want to spin this off into its own thing, mm. um, rebrand under a new name and just sort of really kind of take it seriously as a business rather than kind of patching together incomes, just kind of 
see if I can have a go at just this one focused enterprise. And yeah, that was back in 2012. And now I'm still, (laughs) still here (laughs) hanging out, doing work at Cotton and Flax. And, you know, I've expanded from just pillows and tea towels to doing coasters, all sorts of tabletop linens, and even some smaller gift products too, which have been really fun to create in collaboration with some other companies. Yeah. So it's been amazing. Yeah. (laughs) When listening to your story, I was just, it kind of hit me that you've you've made a transition and I think many artists do this when they realize they are struggling perhaps making money out of their art or they they want Mm -hmm. a more stable businesses they make a switch from art to design Mm -hmm. really Mm -hmm. so yeah from going from fine artwork to making because for me the difference between art and design is that design is a practical object that you can use in everyday life right so you've taken your art and put it onto everyday objects that people can enjoy and have in their home in I guess that are perhaps more affordable but also appealing and make a good gift as well yeah yeah and it's funny because I the the difference between sort of what I was doing with my fine art prints and what I'm doing now it really is sort of in two completely different arenas right Mm. because I think we think of um, you know, fine art is being very intellectual or maybe driven more by um, kind of creative exploration. But mm. I try to bring that same mentality to my design work for cotton and flax, too. I'm really kind of interested in can I create things that are, you know, distinctly contemporary or modern, but that also kind of have the longest shelf life as possible. Mm. I kind of bring that same creative energy to each piece that I create for my business. And so it's it's less about necessarily expressing a particular sentiment or a particular idea. It's more about kind of this holistic approach where I'm thinking about sustainability, I'm thinking about minimalism and design, I'm thinking about color, fabric, natural materials, all these different things and kind of wrapping it up into one finished designed piece. Mm -hmm. And so it's sort of accessing all the same, maybe not all the same, but similar parts of my creative mind. And then there's the additional challenge of the the marketing, the collaborating and licensing with companies, all of the kind of other components that are keeping me really interested. So I don't, you know, even though I think there is some part of me that um, misses the days of just working on those fine art projects, I mm-hmm. think that this has provided a lot of extra sort of <laughs> challenge and sort of interesting um, things for me to kind of work on as projects. So it's it's definitely different, but it's yeah, I think it just taps into some something that was really, um, yeah, vital to me. I, I, it's hard to hard to put a <laughs> finger on exactly what that is or name it. It's it's kind of mysterious. <laughs> so when it comes to creativity, and this is something I'm always fascinated by, people who have a creative business like us and a successful one. I personally, to me business itself is actually really Mm -hmm. creative and challenging like the process of of learning and experimenting with business is something I actually enjoy as much as I enjoy the artistic creative stuff do you feel the same way about that definitely definitely and there are certain parts of that that are more interesting than others right like I don't (laughs) take a lot of joy out of the bookkeeping although (laughs) you know there there are definitely moments though where I find myself getting kind of caught up in like Google Analytics or like yeah. some sort of data centric part of my business. And like, that is not something I really anticipated being this 
excited about, you know, that like if you had told me 10 years ago, oh, you're like really going to love looking at sales numbers and like tracking kind of what's working in your marketing plan. Like, (laughs) I think I would have laughed at them just like, no, that doesn't sound like me. But it turns out that like, there is something really interesting about that, that sort of micro level of kind of looking at what's working in your business and then making a plan to kind of shift or pivot to make Mm. sure that you're following what's successful and what people what's resonating with people and what people are enjoying about your work I think that that's been that's been really fun for me yeah. in a way I didn't anticipate yeah I think that's gonna make though and I've I've talked to a lot of people who've kind of um made that discovery about themselves as well they didn't think of themselves as analytical or anything like that but actually when they got to it they found that they really did enjoy that part of things as as much as or maybe not as much as or maybe more than who knows everybody's different than the creativity of the actual thing that they're making yeah and you know one other thing that I think is a little bit different working as more of a designer than a fine artist is that you know working as a designer has opened up my studio practice to include so much more collaboration and Mm -hmm. that is something that I absolutely love there's there's something about being able to work with you know another creative person or another creative team and develop a product or work together to kind of build something that's maybe bigger than what I could achieve on my own or more impactful than what I could achieve on my own. And I didn't do that as often, at least, with my fine artwork. There were times when I would collaborate on a piece with another artist friend or work on curating a show together, you know, whatever that might look like as a Mm. fine artist. But as a designer, I feel like that's part of my everyday experience is sort of working with a photographer to capture something in a specific way or, you know, working with um, my graphic designer to kind of build out some promotion that's going to really impact the way that people perceive my products. It's There's collaboration on all these different levels that makes it more engaging for mm-hmm. me in my in my daily kind of work. So, yeah, that's been a really fun surprise too. I guess you can, you can kind of sometimes feed off the energy of other people um in that process as well and you get fresh input and ideas that you you know you're only one person we can only come up with so many so many ideas it can be really helpful to have that those other people there giving you perspectives on things now your business you know you you're doing really well online your work is in like 150 or more shops around is that just around the u.s or mostly in the u.s Mm. and canada yeah it's tough i think you know with the import fees and things Mm. like that for um a lot of international i I tend to work with smaller boutiques Mm. and so it's sort of tough you know the margins for for those shops it's really challenging for them when they're you know only able to order maybe a few hundred dollars worth of stuff and then getting it abroad and yes you know pillows don't weigh very much but geez they are bulky so it tends (laughs) to cost quite a lot to ship them overseas but you know i do have a handful of international um retailers who are really really fantastic to work with but yeah most of those most of those folks who are carrying my work are within the u.s mainly on the west and east coast Okay, so you um, just to talk about collaborations again. You mentioned that you've done a collab with Robert Kaufman Fabrics. How did that come yes. about? They're amazing. I cannot say enough good things about working with them. Um, I was actually sort of informally working with them from almost the beginning of Cotton and Flax. I had been sourcing raw materials from them, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as early as 2012, 2013, and so. I had already been kind of having this informal relationship with them for years and 
you know, as more and more of my customers are saying, oh, could you please start selling yardage? I want to make my own things with your <laughs> patterns on them. And, you know, the reality of making that in my studio would have meant that the fabric would cost like $120 a yard or something yeah. insane. Like it just was not feasible for me to hand print yardage and sell it at a price point where people would want to pay, you know, a reasonable mm -hmm. amount for it. So, you know, I kept getting these requests and I kept getting people asking and I kind of would put them off and put them off and, you know, hope that maybe I would think of some way to produce it in the future. And then it was just, I, I don't remember if it was sort of a friend who suggested, you know, you should pitch a collection to them. You should pitch a collection to Robert Kaufman. They work with designers and artists all the time to produce fabric collections. Like, this is something you should just go after because then, you know, you'd be able to provide this product for your customers mm. and you could have something to point to for them to go and purchase. And it, it was just like the biggest light bulb. Oh my gosh, of course. <laughs> Why didn't I think of this earlier? Like I already know they make beautiful fabric. Everyone who I've talked to at the company has been so nice and generous and helpful as I've started my business. And, you know, of course they would be the first people that I would approach with with a project like this because I just trusted that they would understand. They've been, you know, with me since the beginning of Cotton and Flax. So that, it just made sense. And so I actually reached out to their design team uh, a few years ago to pitch my first collection, which came out last year called Arroyo. It's 44 different printed fabrics. They're actually overprinted, similar to how I do my silkscreen printing in my own studio, just on a larger scale. It's, you know, mass manufacturing. They actually do the printing here in America, which is incredible. That's not something that's super common anymore. Mm. Most of the time things are shipped overseas and then kind of shipped back. But that's something that we were able to keep um, kind of local in that way. And the, the product is just so beautiful. I'm, I'm so <laughs> pleased with how it turns out. It's actually very similar looking to my hand-printed fabrics. I think kind of as close as you can get with, with a mass-manufactured product like that. So, yeah, I'm super pleased. That's awesome. And it's obviously another income stream for you on top of you exactly. know, your regular business. Yeah. And you also teach workshops sometimes as well. Yeah, when I can, I try to fit that into my schedule. It's tricky because I think um, a lot of what I do isn't really suitable to teach in a short-term workshop format. Mm -hmm. um, for example, like silkscreen printing, you kind of need almost, you know, a full day or a couple of days to really work through a project from the sort of designing to, you know, burning the silkscreen, putting the emulsion on, waiting for that to dry, exposing it in a, you know, a UV exposure unit, and then actually doing the physical printing onto fabric or paper. It's like, it's really pretty labor intensive and there's a steep learning curve. And, mm. you know, once you get started, it's great. It's like super, you're, oh, you're like, oh, this is like magic. I'm printing 15, 20, 50, you know, the same thing. And, in an hour. But the reality is that I think most people, um, most of the people that I teach, you know, have maybe like 50 to a hundred dollars to spend and want to do a fun project in an afternoon or an evening where they kind of take something and can go home and say, I learned a new skill. This is great. <laughs> um, and so that kind of limits a little bit of what I can teach. Mm -hmm. And that's part of why I've done a lot of teaching around block printing or around stenciling. These are projects that are a little bit easier to achieve in a short period of time in just a few hours and you can make really fun things. You can do, you know, stamped totes. You can make stationery. You can do bigger projects like pillows and things like that, too. It's, you know, it's just a matter of kind of how complex your designs are. So, yeah, that's been a really fun thing to kind of have on the side. Um, 
as as obviously another revenue stream mm-hmm. for one and additionally just as a way to kind of connect with other creative people and and be inspired by their sort of fresh approach to you know something that I've been doing for at this point you know close to 15 years it's sort of that feeling like oh I'm seeing it fresh through their eyes I get to experience it mm-hmm. anew because they're so excited about learning and um, that has been something that has really yeah been a nice kind of addition to my creative practice. I wish that I had more opportunities to teach. It's tough to to find time. Now, do you find that your passion or interest in your actual designing in the process of creating new things fluctuates over time? That's a tricky question because I think that um, I've definitely found that I – get these moments of inspiration and will design quite a few new designs all at once. Mm -hmm. Um, It sort of seems like it kind of, hmm, it's the best way to put this. It's almost like there are kind of seasons in my business for creative work. And I don't mean that like literally like, oh, you know, I design once in the spring, once in the fall, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, I'm I'm designing new patterns and new um, ideas for products and things all the time. But you know, not everything that I put to paper ends up actually becoming a new product. It really is sort of a process of continuing to sketch as much as possible, usually on a daily basis. But when I get busy, sometimes that will get cut back to once or twice a week. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then from all of those designs that I'm creating, kind of choosing the best ones are the ones that I'm most excited about to create new collections for cotton and flax or for my um, collaborations through other companies. So, yeah, it's it's tough. I think there are definitely moments where I'm like really head down, sort of focused on the numbers or maybe working on another project that's developing some other aspect of the business. Um, for example, in the last couple of months, I've been really focused on <laughs> trying to get my website redesigned and, you know, mm-hmm. I'm I'm not sure if I've talked about this before, but like I'm really still the only employee at Cotton and Flax. I have um, I have people who I contract some of the labor to, and I have um, you know a designer, a developer, web developer, um, people who kind of help me with projects. But I'm the only full time person here, so a lot of these different projects end up falling to me. So it's it sort of can zap my energy when I'm trying to work on a design project and then I go oh man I've got a hundred emails to answer right now this is gonna (laughs) eat up my whole afternoon and so if I'm not careful um what can happen is that I can kind of fritter away a whole day with those administrative projects and kind of neglect the creative side but when I'm doing a good job with balancing my schedule that that creative time tends to be a regular part of my day, even if I don't have a particular deadline that I'm mm-hmm. facing or a particular project that I'm trying to develop. Cool. So speaking of balancing things, what does like <laughs> a typical day or week look like for you with work and, and other aspects of life? Yeah, this has really changed for me in the last year. Um, I feel like I think in maybe year five or four or five, I was really starting to feel a little bit burned out Mm -hmm. and kind of couldn't see. For me, when I experience burnout, the biggest thing that happens is that I can't really see the way forward or I feel a little bit stuck or kind of in the mire of like (laughs) all of the things on my to-do list. Oh, yeah. Um, You know, and that to me has happened a couple of times in my creative career. So I kind of know, know what to keep an eye out for and as I kind of felt this burnout creeping up on me, I thought, you know, I really need to 
make some lifestyle changes here because I'm the boss. There's a, you know, this great side of being self-employed, which is that I'm in charge. I get to choose sort of how I approach this work. And that feeling of feeling like burdened or out of control or overwhelmed, it's like, I'm in a lot of ways, I'm putting that on myself by Mm. setting myself up for failure, by building in too much in my day or setting deadlines too close together or whatever bad choice I may have made. (laughs) So, you know, I started to catch myself thinking, you know, I don't I don't need to choose to be looking at these emails at 11 p.m. I don't need to be, you know, looking at social media first thing when I wake up. These things can wait. I need to start structuring my day in a more rigid way to Mm. build in some of these (laughs) kind of almost like controls so that I don't get off track too early or too late in the day. I think everyone listening is like nodding their heads going, yeah, man, I've been there. Been there. We've all been there. I think, you know, and it's easier said than done. That's the reality is I think that um, what had really happened for me was I just started developing some bad habits that were kind of, you know, maybe over time had started to build up and just became part of my normal day. And so it took a little bit of work to undo some of those bad habits and to start building healthier um, habits in their place. Mm. And so interestingly, it actually kind of coincided with a move. I moved from Los Angeles down to San Diego, which is, you know, a big city, but it also has a little bit of a slower pace of life. It kind of has the reputation for being like a surfer town or like Mm. a beach town. And so (laughs) I think there was like a little bit of a shift in moving from this sort of really frenetic, busy environment in Los Angeles where there's so much happening all the time and um, moving to kind of downshifting to a little bit more of a relaxed environment. I think that helped me in a lot of ways to to kick some of those new habits into place, which, you know, for me that means, you know, when I wake up, don't look at email and social media and all that until after I've had my coffee and toast and like a little bit of time to kind of meditate and be quiet and, just sort of think about in my mind or on paper what I want to accomplish that day and, you know, not get overwhelmed by sort of other people's demands on my time, if Mm. that makes sense. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And then after I've, you know, had that time, I'm able to kind of dig into the bigger creative projects during the morning, making sure that I take time for lunch and eating healthy during the day so that I don't (laughs) get to the end of the day and think, I haven't eaten in 10 hours. I need to eat something right now. That sort of panic (laughs) at having been consumed Uh, by your creative work all day, which I think, yeah, hopefully I'm not alone in that. If I didn't have Nick here, like he comes as like lunch. He's like, oh, right, it's lunchtime. Okay. Yeah, no. And that's that's what's so wonderful and also (laughs) terrible about loving your work, right? It's that you get into that flow, into that sort of, I'm working, I'm I'm really engaged in what I'm doing. And then you look up and hours have passed. And that's wonderful and miraculous that that can happen. Mm. But also horrible (laughs) taking care of your body right and I think that that's really where I'm trying to find a better balance of you know respecting the fact that without my health and without taking good care of myself I I won't be able to do my best work and so I needed to kind of retool some of those (laughs) some of that workflow to better accommodate a healthy diet exercise getting enough sleep all of that stuff so that I can do my best work and be really effective when I'm at work Yeah, I'm finding like I know with my own experience and talking to a lot of people about these sorts of things, it's quite a common thing. You know, when you first start businesses, 
you know, you're working really hard to get a business off the ground. You tend to get a bit, you know, obsessive or absorbed in it. And so oh, the rest of your life can fall by the wayside for a time. And sure. w- I think what is important if you can is realize before you burn out <laughs> that this is happening <laughs> and try to pull things back into a little bit more balance. Um, yeah. And it's also, I think, I think it's really useful to think about it as, you know, there's no, you don't have to be the one way all the time. Like it's okay to have seasons of fluctuation or so, I call it like oh, a creative absolutely. cycle. Sometimes like at the moment for me in my life, um, last year was sort of a lull in the creative cycle. I, I deliberately didn't start any new projects. I took a step back and it was kind of a much more relaxing time. But as the year ended, I found myself really suddenly shooting up and getting way all this energy and ideas and stuff and it was like okay it's time to it's time to ride that wave and yeah so definitely. for a period of time i i know that my energy levels and my ideas and stuff will be on, at this supercharged level but i also know from 10 years of experience that won't last forever <laughs> oh exactly and anticipating that it potentially could last forever mm. is like the naive mistake that i think so many of us make early oh, yeah. in our careers <laughs> of oh of course i can just have this be the pace forever that that seems yeah. sustainable and then you crash really hard <laughs> so yeah i mean i've i've definitely had that experience too and it's just um yeah, trying not to beat myself up when I do have deadlines and need to put in a few extra hours mm. and also not beating myself up when I want to take some time to rest and, you know, kind of reflect on some of the accomplishments that I've had and kind of recharge so that mm. I can tackle the next big project. I think it's really been all about moderation for me. It's kind of, it's boring. It's kind of that sort of like, <laughs> it's just the sort of basic stuff that we all know, but... Mm. <laughs> hope that maybe we're immune from it's yeah it's but it's true it is now speaking of challenges what would you say has been one of the biggest challenges you've overcome in your business journey yeah I mean honestly it is just like staying healthy and mm-hmm. avoiding burnout it's you know it's such a I mean I hope at, at my core I hope it's a relatable thing because that's really like what I was saying before like if I'm not taking care of my body and taking care of my, and and I can include mental health in that Mm. component too. If I'm not getting enough rest, really, you know, recharging, making sure that I'm, um, you know, in touch with friends, being present in my relationship with my, my partner. It's like all of these things are, are really important in in terms of me having a holistic kind of healthy life. And Mm. I think that if I'm neglecting those other aspects of my life, I'm not going to be able to perform well at work. I'm not going to feel like I'm bringing my best sort of self yeah. to to my design work. And I think that, you know, that to me has changed, especially just over the course of the last six or seven years of, of realizing too, like I can't do the same kind of crazy work schedule for as long, you know, a period of time as I could when I was 22. Yeah. Like that idea of like, you know, I'm, I'm in my thirties now I, you know, even if I really wanted to have that really super frenetic pace that I had when I was just starting, it's like, I, I don't think I could keep up with that anymore. I need more sleep. I need more time to kind of have that downtime, that quiet time that's separate from my work. And I want to prioritize those other aspects aspects of my life. So it's been, mm. you know, that's the biggest challenge is then not feeling like I'm doing a disservice to my business or I'm not doing enough. You know, I think yes. um, 
unfortunately, in a lot of ways, Instagram or social media, I guess, in general, has really magnified this problem, right? Because mm-hmm. there's always this comparison happening of all the wonderful things that are happening in other people's businesses and other people's creative lives that I'm, you know, frankly, jealous of or envious mm-hmm. of, that feeling of, oh, I really want what they have, but I'm going to have to work really hard to get that. Maybe I should be working more. It kind of pulls you back into that cycle of kind of not being directed by your own inward creative journey, but by outward forces and feeling like you're never doing enough. Mm -hmm. And so I really think that in in a lot of ways, it's harder to be a creative person. It's harder to be an artist in this world of social media because you're constantly seeing everyone else's highlight reel and comparing it to your blooper reel, right? Absolutely. (laughs) Oh, God. The comparison is the thief of joy thing. That's, you know another sort of banal quote, but it's like, it's so true. It's so true in my life. So I'm really trying to, you know, just focus on, you know, my own goals, what's important to me and how can I get there without being a complete basket case on the way, you know, that's the goal. Yeah. I love that. I actually covered that exact point just in one of the handmade biz tips on my podcast recently. So definitely something that's been in my mind as well. And that a lot of people struggle with. uh, And I think, that comparison thing can really it can it can ruin people because they you know especially in the beginning stages it, if they tap into that too much they can just give up because they, yeah. they don't think they're ever going to be as successful as x y and z person um, it's it's such you know. a poisonous thing for your mind it's mm. like it's you know i hate to put it that way but it kind of that's really what it is it really takes all of the the joy that you find when you accomplish some of these things. And, uh, you know, just for example, in my business, I feel like thinking back to the first year where it was so challenging, so challenging to figure out, well, how am I going to, how am I going to build a website? How am I going to reach my first customers? Like all these things that felt so overwhelming in year one are on autopilot now. It's like, Mm -hmm. you don't realize what a huge accomplishment just that is. And then taking that for granted and thinking, oh, you know, that's all worthless because I haven't gotten to, you know, X, Y, Z goal that I see someone else achieving. It's just, it will never, it'll never be enough if that's the way you process all of those things (laughs) through that lens. That's just, yeah, it's tough because I think a lot of entrepreneurs, especially creative entrepreneurs, are always kind of reaching for that next thing. And Mm -hmm. that's kind of how you have to be to move forward in your career. But man, you got to also have hopefully one eye trained on the rear view mirror so you don't don't lose sight of how far you've come absolutely i love that so speaking of marketing social media for you and your business what is what have been kind of the best marketing strategies or moves that you've made um i don't know if it's um a marketing strategy so much as just uh I think I've been really fearless in being an early adopter of most uh, mm-hmm. social media things or you know, I, I remember when I first started the business, you know, most social media didn't really exist. Facebook existed, yeah, but, you know, <laughs> Instagram was nowhere, you know, Pinterest was nowhere. And, you know, I, I look back at those days where I was kind of enjoying the community on Flickr and like kind oh, wow, of sharing yeah. my work there. It's like you kind of think back. That wasn't that long ago. That was less than mm. a decade ago that that was really where well, at least for me, the kind of creative action was. That's where the party was. That's where all the creative people were hanging out and talking about our work and sharing what we were making. And, you know, gosh, so much has changed. But 
I think part of what has worked well for me is just adopting an open-minded approach to all of the ways that you can share your creative work online and just diving in and trying everything and seeing what works. I think mm-hmm. I know a lot of people who kind of delay and think, oh, maybe that's a fad. I don't know if I'm going to try that. Oh, I don't really like the way this works. I'm, I'm, I'm going to opt out. And it's for me, it's been in kind of leaning into those opportunities to share and connect that have really helped to build my business and and honestly introduce me to a lot of my friends. <laughs> it sounds a little crazy to be like, oh, I met so many friends on, on Instagram, but it's kind of true. I think yeah. learning about someone's creative work and then thinking, oh, you know, maybe I'll get the opportunity to meet this person. You follow them and, oh, they're going to be at a creative event that I'm at. And, you know, it's things like that that have led to some really interesting and fun collaborations and just personal friendships. I'm, I, you know, I think that, you know, I guess I'm getting a little bit away from the marketing question, but that has been a way to build really authentic connections with my community, which has really helped to build my business over the long haul. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I think you can look at kind of any one marketing campaign and kind of, you know, do the kind of postmortem. Okay, this is how much we sold. This is, mm-hmm. you know, this is what we achieved with that. But honestly, I kind of try to take the long view of how am I building community? How am I reaching out to people who, you know, may be interested in my work and then lose interest because they're moving on in their their creativity or, you know, whatever it is. But how can I kind of be continuing to put myself out there and reaching people where they're at? And and, and I think that social media for me has been the big one for that for that component. <clears throat> now, I was talking about this song with someone recently the fact that, you know, Instagram and Facebook have basically become the behemoths of social media yeah, and they're really yeah. the same company. Um, right. <laughs> and how, you know, they're changing things and making it harder for businesses to get seen and that's inevitable. Yeah, it you know, it's very wanna, challenging. They want to make money out of us, really. That's, the, you know, the end game. So, mm-hmm. I mean, do you see anything coming up that's going to sort of be the next big thing? I haven't seen anything kind of yet You know, I I think that the wisest thing for all of us to do is just to own your platform, right? Mm. I think that that's the real risk in these giant social media mergers like Facebook and Instagram and, you know, and Snapchat kind of starting, at at least in my experience, starting to slow down for, Mm. for some people now that Instagram stories have become so huge. I think anytime you don't control the algorithm or kind of what's going on behind the scenes, you're at risk. Um, unless you have a big budget to be able to spend on on marketing or on advertising on those platforms so you know in my mind what that means is having a strong voice across all of your platforms that you own your website your blog and your mailing list because those are places that you'll always be able to kind of dictate the terms put out the content that you want and make sure that it's seen by the people who, you know, subscribe or who are on your list. Right. And Mm -hmm. so for me, I think just cultivating that voice, that really, you know, honest and authentic voice that's representational of your brand, I think is the smartest thing and the the biggest priority for creative brands at this point, because we aren't able to really control the ways that Instagram or Facebook or, you know, any of these different platforms are going to go in terms of their algorithms or, you know, what, what their priorities are going to be down the road. Yeah, I totally agree. I think, you know, having your own website your and your, your website and your mailing list really are the two things you can actually own and control. Yeah. So yeah. those are really important tools in your business development. Um, exactly. Yeah. So 
we're kind of reaching the end here. But before we do, I want to ask, what is what would you say has been perhaps the most successful or exciting business business moment for you? <laughs> I mean, that's the thing, right? Looking in the rear view and being like, yeah. what was like the thing that at the time felt so insane yeah. that now I'm like, oh, I guess I made it through that. I can make <laughs> it through this next thing. The one that comes to mind is, um, God, the one I probably sweat over the most was this enormous wholesale order that I did for a company called CB2, which is a division of Crate and Barrel. Nice. And they... Um, they placed an order for a bunch of these hand-printed tea towels that I make in a special colorway. And, you know, I, we went back and forth for a while customizing the project for them. And when it came time to actually make the order, it just oh, it felt almost impossible to integrate it with all the other things I was doing on a daily basis. And then packaging it to their really specific specifications <laughs> and jumping through endless hoops and you know, it was one of the first times that I had worked with a company that large and just the onboarding process, reading the contract was <laughs> insanity. I was like, what does any of this mean? Ah, it was awful. But like, you know, the thing is, is I learned so much during that process. And, you know, even though it meant a lot of sort of sleepless <laughs> nights or, you know, worrying about, oh, God, did I remember to seal those that package properly? What if I put the label on backwards? Oh, my God, am I going to get paid this sort of endless stress that came with that project when I sent those boxes out I felt this incredible sense of accomplishment that you know now of course I would know how to handle an order and it wouldn't be as big of a deal (laughs) but like you know at that time it was such an incredible milestone and and honestly when I think about it now it's like it's not even just that the physical work was done it was oh my god a big company thinks my work is good enough that they're going to sell hundreds of these. That's yes. wonderful. What, yes. a, what a great sort of endorsement of your creative vision to have a company come in and, and really support you in that way and say, we really like what you're doing. We're going we're gonna to commit to selling all of these, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a success. It's just, ugh, what a special thing. And, you know, that was four, four years ago at this point. So, <laughs> you know, it's one of those things where it probably wouldn't be as challenging now, but gosh, nothing beats thinking about those little successes where you're like, oh, man, yeah, I felt good after that. That was really, <laughs> that was a meaningful moment, even even if it would have been a different experience today. <laughs> That's awesome. So yeah. do you have perhaps a piece of advice or one piece of advice you'd like to give fellow makers, either about running a successful business or something you wish you'd known when you kind of got started? Um. So I think kind of to get back to what we were talking about before, about that sort of, you know, in the early days of running a creative business, there is that sort of frenetic energy that really, I mean, a lot of times it's just enthusiasm, right? Mm -hmm. It's like you're so excited about what you're doing. You're so driven. um, You know, you're ready to get started. And that's so wonderful. And and I think that entrepreneurs and creative people at the beginning of their careers really need to harness that energy, right? And, Mm -hmm. And kind of figure out a way to take that excitement but not go overboard right I think that the basic the basic advice I have is don't rush like it's gonna Mm -hmm. (laughs) there's gonna be time for all of the amazing things you want to put out into the world and just you know try try if you can to kind of build build some boundaries into your workflow where you can early in the process because it can be really tough when you have that excitement for your work to kind of go and backfill and figure that stuff out 
later once you're burning out. I think if you can kind of figure out a way to pace yourself, be realistic about your goal setting, kind of be sort of focused on what the absolute most important thing you want to accomplish is and like like a laser, zoom in on it, but also give yourself time to rest, give yourself time to work on other things that aren't connected with your business, you know, cultivate friendships, you know, be happy in your romantic relationship if that's where you're at, you know, be around your family, make sure that you're, you know, (laughs) whatever it is, have that outside stuff going on so you don't look up after a year of business and go, oh gosh, I burned every bridge in my life that isn't connected to work. I think, you know, Yes, that wasn't really my experience, but I just I, I see so many people burning out so quickly that I just wish that people would slow down, like take a breath. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's it's tough, and it's hard advice for me to follow sometimes. Oh, so yeah. I got to write it on the wall or something. <laughs> <laughs> slow down. That's it. I always yeah. say um, I'm known. I think I'm known for saying it's a marathon, not a sprint. Yes, oh, absolutely. Over and over and over again until people. That's a much more eloquent way of saying that. Yes. <laughs> it's so absolutely. true. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Do you have like a long term vision for where your business is going to go, or are you taking it sort of a day at a time and just following the flow? You know, I think I'm actually um, part of the reason that I was really excited to come on today is that I feel like I'm in this moment where I am really wanting to reconnect with the creative community and adult a larger scale. I'm thinking about getting back into teaching and kind of working on these larger scale collaborations in terms of licensing or um, working with other artists even. And I think that, you know, that's something in the next, you know, five, 10 years that I think is going to be a big change for me. Instead of just focusing on a product line or kind of building my own brand, it's really kind of reaching out to the creative community in a larger way and um, kind of honing my own voice too in terms of what I want to share how I want to connect with people and share my own experiences and and having a creative life and a creative career I think that for me is is the big focus this year and and hopefully for the next few years that's very exciting yeah yeah I'm pretty (laughs) jazzed about it (laughs) and you're doing a lot of that work too I think this is where I'm so excited to see the kind of democratization of like podcasts and, Mm. you know, creative, you know, live streaming online and on Instagram and all the stuff that's kind of opening up the creative world to more people. And, you know, I'm, I'm excited to be a small part of that. It's going to be a, it's going to be a fun half decade. I think (laughs) so. A lot coming down the pipeline. (laughs) Uh, Now, did you have a quote to share with us today? Yeah. You know, when I saw that you were going to ask me about this, I went and looked at, um, I post quotes on Instagram sometimes as sort of a series of kind of inspiration for myself and my business and that I want to share with other creatives who might be following me. And one that I posted recently that I think resonated with a lot of people was this quote from Michelle Obama, one of my heroes. (laughs) Um, And she said, don't ever make decisions based on fear. Make decisions based on hope and possibility. Make decisions based on what should happen, not what shouldn't. And I just, I think that's such an amazing perspective, right, is to kind of put fear in its place, think about where you're trying to get to and, you know, the best case scenario, and then make your decisions based on that rather than on what could happen or what could go wrong. It's just, what a wonderful way to approach, you know, your creative life and your, mm-hmm. and a business. It's, I think that's a really wonderful thing to think about. It is. I love that. 
So Erin, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your journey with us today. I've loved chatting with you. It's been super fun. Where can people go find more about you and your beautiful work? Thank you so much for having me. Um, <laughs> my website is cottonandflax.com and you can find all my products there and a little bit more information about my background on the about page. Um, you know, I teach creative live classes. That's something oh, right. that awesome. I started doing um, last year or the year before. And uh, it's been a really fun way to connect with other creatives, too. Um, so if there's anyone out there who's running a creative business who wants to learn more about social media marketing or what's worked in my business, um, that could be a place where they could check me out over on Creative Live. And on social media, I'm just at Cotton and Flax. Yeah, you can find me there and come say hello. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Erin. Thank you. It was such a pleasure. Huge thanks again to Erin for coming on the show and for joining me next week in the Thriver Circle for our live chat. Again, if you're a member or if you want to join us, just head on over to the Facebook group for the Thriver Circle. Look in the events tab and you can RSVP for that live chat with Erin and pick her brain about her business journey. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Again, if you could take a few moments and leave a rating and a review, that would mean the world to me. Thank you so much for doing so and supporting the podcast. I'm Jess Van Den. This has been another episode of the Create and Thrive podcast, and goodbye for now.